community is immune to the dangers of substance use and addiction. Within the Menominee tribe, we've all seen the impacts firsthand. That's why we need to talk about it as we join together to bring this problem out in the open. In this podcast, we'll focus on education, highlight resources that are available, talk about initiatives underway to deal with this public health threat, and smash stereotypes that we all have about addiction. The Talk About It podcast is an initiative of the Menominee Indian Drug Addiction and Intervention Team with your hosts, Sheena and Gary. The unfortunate reality is that our children are exposed to the impacts of drugs in our community. Local school leaders explain how children are and can be exposed to substances and the effects that it has on their future in school and life. Today we are joined by guest superintendent of schools at MISD, Wendell Waka, Menominee Tribal School Administrator, Lori Korn. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us today. Um, what are the ways that children are being exposed to illegal substances like fentanyl and opioids? What we know is that children are being exposed to it in a number of ways. Um, if it's being used in the house, sold in the house, manufactured in the house, given away, no matter what, that you know that that children are exposed to it. And now we know that even with the the, the fentanyl, um, it actually has effect as it gets into the body and our kids are potentially exposed to that. And I always like to say this, and I even said it yesterday, is that we still have to remember the number one abused drug is still alcohol. Agree. So just to add on to that, I think that it's important to remember that when you live with this um, addiction, you know, whether it's the alcohol or the drugs. Um, Just like Wendell said, they're seeing it, they're exposed to it there, but exposure can also mean the effects that it has on a a family. Um, Because when a family member is struggling with this, there are all kinds of things that that could result in it, like the uh, deterioration of a a marriage or... um, you know, if it's a sibling, you see that person doing things, and it, it has effects on the whole family. You know, there, there's a lot of hurting things, in in children are caught in the middle of that because to them, in their eyes, the family is perfect. That's who they learn from. That's their first love, and to see that deteriorated is is a really hard exposure for them to um, understand. Mm -hmm. I think if you add what Laurie said Mm -hmm. about children, which is really important, sometimes children blame themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't understand what they're dealing with. They don't understand what is happening. Mm -hmm. In, In their eyes, they only want that family unit together. We've heard the term uh, drug-endangered children. What does that mean? Well, I think in our community, we we kind of um, talked about that a little bit, that, you know, um, they're from just the high number of uses, use, usage and substance abuse, mm-hmm. it, 
it's really affecting the children. I think that's where that term comes from, that we need to take some action to help these children because they don't know how to process this, this, um, these issues. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. And, and if you think about just the term endangered children, so we're putting our kids in danger because they're seeing it firsthand. And, and again, our, our numbers are, are not numbers that, we, that are favorable, but what we understand that, you know, whether it's a child who could have been affected through pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, I think the reason why Laurie and I are here is because you have to think about what happens to drug-endangered children from their cognitive, their thinking, their behavioral, their emotional what the effect is on that, because that's what plays out in our schools. Um, are these drugs in our schools, or how do you screen for them? I can start. So the sad reality is, are, are these drugs in our schools? And I think Lori and I will tell you, whatever, whatever we're dealing with in the community, we breathe it in the schools. So if there's drugs in our community, there's drugs in our schools. Yes, there's... There's fentanyl and opioids in our schools. Um, that, is, that is the reality in our country. It is the reality here. You know, the question of how do you screen for it, it's tough. What we, what we did a year ago when we had close to 50 substance reuse referrals in the first two months of school, we started checking backpacks. And we made kids open them up, and it took longer, but we, you know, and again, because that's the most invasive search you can get, where now we can have them walk through a scanner, okay? Um, it's a scanner that will pick up any type of metal type of substance, and that's usually where we pick up the vapes, or the vapes with THC, but that's not, that's not a all catch-all, <clears throat> um, you know, sometimes we know they, they hide it in places that we can't check, you know, but we do know that if they, they, <clears throat> whether it's the smell or whether it's behavior, that it does give us probable cause to try to find where that is. Um, but, but the sad reality is, is I never thought the day would come that our kids would be walking through a, a screener looking for drugs. The sad part is, it is here. So, just to piggyback off that, um, yeah, drugs are everywhere. They're, unfortunately, all over. They're in the schools. How do we screen for them? For, for tribal school, our ages are a little different. So, it could be um, locker checks. Um, and we do those often frequent, I should say, because it's better to do those than it is to um, have somebody have it in school and then share it. So we've done frequent locker checks. We do a lot of the um, passing out the literature. We just do a lot of the education materials. What happens to students when they're found with drugs? Well, there, there has to be an accountability piece tied in with 
an intervention. And typically the accountability piece might usually includes being suspended three to five days. And, and there's a reason for that. It's because we need to plan how we're going to intervene and then how we're going to bring in wraparound supports. You know, it, can't, it isn't something where, you know, you get caught today while well, you're at Mano tomorrow. It mm -hmm. doesn't work that way. You know, it's you're caught today. We're reaching out to Mano trying to figure out when can we get this kid scheduled. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's having to have a, a time where they're away and at the same time we're planning and then we're figuring out what is that, what is that intervention going to be like. They don't come back better from suspension. I, I don't care what people say. But when they come back, if they're if they're <clears throat> if they're told, they you know you're going to have to get some help, mm -hmm. and that help is going to it's going to include getting a an AODA assessment, and what that assessment tells us is what kind of treatment plan are you going to need. You need time to put that together, and so that's the the hard part. What we're what we're running into now is we have some kids who are repeat offenders and you know they've offended three four times well what do you do you kick them out of school that's what most schools do um, we try to hold on to them as long as we can but then that's where we're working with uh, Mano uh, family services of this is where we're trying to get the kids residential help and you know that means sending them out of state now the nice thing is that new juvenile facility in Tomahawk which they broke ground in is going to be a great facility for our kids because it's in state. So those things, uh, I like those, that plan, and we do similar. We're, we're very similar. Um, it's almost like um, you, first step is you got to involve the family, and sometimes that is is the most difficult piece um, but you got to bring the family members in on the table and, and talk about, you know, this is what we're seeing with your, with your child. This, they had a vape or, you know, and we don't know what's in that vape. And it's, um, hard for parents to, um, accept that at first. Um, but, you focus on the child and why they're doing that and almost forming a plan. Um, like Wendell had mentioned, like almost like a treatment plan. What are we going to do now? You reach out to your community, but you continue to support the family because our ultimate goal is to um, change that behavior, um, not just kick them out of school. Um, and try to see how we can help to get them to these places or in contact with almost like mentors or coaches that can help in, in assist what's going on. So <clears throat> there are undoubtedly many kids who are exposed to drugs uh, in their homes and in the community. So what kind of help is available for them if they come to you or one of the teachers saying that they saw something or are in some way impacted by drug use? Um, so on site at tribal school, we would have, um, and this does happen, you know, it could happen in uh, multiple forms. 
a student may be worried about what's going on at home. They may be worried about a parent, um, something, you know, um, they, my mom, this is going on with my mom or, so then we get them into the counseling that we have on site, um, try to involve the families right away. For us, we have a social worker on staff and we implement art therapy. So that is a start. But most times, children, they get close to their teachers in the, in the people in the schools. So they are saying these things. So we do our very best to support that child to get them some help so they can, um, so they're not so stressed and so worried about or consumed with what's going on at home so they can, they, they can function at school. And, you know, if it continues, um, depending on what's going on, where they're, where the problems lie, we would reach out to the community. Behavioral health has been really good working with us. Um, mm-hmm. We help with transportation. We try to connect them with whatever services we we even learn about it by being a part of this drug task force team. Mm-hmm. So those are a few of the things that we have tried. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think Laurie was talking about really how important that role of the teacher is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think what, what really helps is when that teacher or when the student has a, a, a very solid, positive, safe connection to their teacher. Mm-hmm. Because when that happens, they will go to the teacher to, to tell them their, what their struggle is. And, and I think that <clears throat> the more we can support our, our teachers in, in establishing those connections, it's, it's really important. And again, you know, Lori mentioned the role of our student services. You know, they're that next lineup that takes child and, and works with them. And if they need more, then they're working with the agencies. So, you know, again, I think what we're trying to say is we got the resources in the school, mm-hmm. but we also want you to know there comes a time when we just don't have the level of resource the kid needs yeah mm-hmm. yeah mhm what are uh in your opinions what are some of the differences in how um exposure to these drugs impacts the different age groups in the schools i'll take a shot at that from saying you know as i mentioned before it, it can affect them emotionally uh cognitively mm-hmm. um but if you think about you know young kids you think being exposed to that might make it hard for them to pay attention. Yeah. Might make it hard for them to concentrate and, and read. I think that's common. Mm-hmm. What I could say at maybe the, the high school level, if they are not connected to somebody, they check out. And we see the inconsistency of their attendance. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, of course, middle school, they're right right in that gap where you can start to see both, yeah. you know, but I, I think it affects them all in those same ways, but because of their age, you know, their age differences, it affects them differently. And I don't want to say one is affected more than the other. I just think it's affected differently. And, and especially if you think about high school kids, some of our high school kids now, 
have because of their, you know, they, they want to suppress they're starting to use, and now we got usage going on within the family, including the children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can speak towards maybe the younger children also. Um, like at tribal school, sometimes they'll show attendance patterns where they're not coming to school. In for at that age, they love school, so that the school's their safe place. So that tells us um, we need to check on this family or keep keep an eye on on what's going on there. Um, Some kids have even lost their parents and they're growing up without parents now. It seems like from what I see, they internalize that and like Wendell had talked about, almost blame themselves for for that. Um, To expect a second grader or a first grader to process that they're no longer going to have either their mother or father in their lives is it really um, is going to affect them for the rest of their lives. And we're seeing a lot of that. We almost talked about doing some support groups for all of us who are survivors from that. We got to find some way to comfort these children that have gone through this and try to change change this pattern somehow. Some kids c- could do, um, you know, behaviors that they could either start with risky behaviors or they could do, we've seen kids do like cutting because, you know, they just don't know how to process these things. And then that continues with them as they get older. So it is very difficult. So what are some of the longer-term effects on children that have been exposed to substances that you've seen? Lori and I and probably schools can all say is we're seeing the emotional behavior, the the behaviors coming out to our kids, Mm -hmm. okay? And sometimes what we're not, what we're not able to do is to help children process the emotions. Um, you know, if they're saying, I'm going to go home to something I'm not real good and I'm going to use because I, that helps me cope, well, guess what? That's good for the short term. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that comes back and kicks them in the butt mm-hmm. in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s because they're still pushing it down and it never goes away, and it comes back. And and I think I've seen that a lot in a number of our kids as they became adults. And I'm going to say, um, yes, I'm somebody who was affected by it, had my own struggles, mm-hmm. and it came back to haunt me because I didn't handle it the right way. And I think I've just seen a whole pattern of that in our community where you, you see so many people hurting in there. 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s because we we didn't deal with it. And again, I'm not blaming people. It's just I think we 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 didn't have the right systems of support. I think now we're getting better at it, mm-hmm. but the problem is so significant. Yeah. Mhm. It really is, and so it seems like it's just. Um, just like we were taught, you know, with breaking the cycle in the cycles, the group of parents are very different now. 
we're trying to re-engage them to the family unit. And we see a lot, a lot of grandparents stepping in to raise their children. Um, There's a lot of anger. I think we have to get past that this is this pro this family's problem or this family's problem and like Wendell talked about there's mistakes made along the way but at least we're trying um I don't know if there's a right or wrong way to try to help somebody but I think you have to have that trust and trust in those connections to try to get that help and use those resources because it's so individualized. Um, Everybody struggles with something. So um, if it's drugs or alcohol, it affects individuals differently. So I think just to know there's support out there and for these young parents to um, try to reach out for that help to listen to us older <laughs> older parents to follow our guidance. We really got to get back to that. So how are some some other ways that families can help protect their children? One of the things that I'm starting to see is we got to be willing in the schools to be real and intentional with our kids. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think Nick has come into both of our schools, mm-hmm. Nick Utech, to talk about, and again, not to scare them, but to, to educate them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we've got to be willing to help our kids really understand about the dangers of, you know what, if I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to go buy a, a, a Percocet because I want to deal with my anxiety, well, do you really know if you're getting Percocet? And, and, and again, I think we've seen so many deaths in our, across our country where these are good kids. Mm-hmm. And these good kids are hurting and they're just trying to deal with that. And, and then we don't have them anymore. And I think that's, we've got we've to be willing to do that. I think we've got to be willing, and I think Lori mentioned it, is we've got to start talking to our kids real early, especially in elementary school. But how do you stay safe? Yeah, that's the world we live in. It sure is. And I I think families learn about the the signs, listen to what the school or programs are saying that children are going through, be open to that. Um, If your child is starting to show signs, you know, changing friends or trouble at school. Really listen because they're trying to tell you something. Something is going on. And I still think it's okay to tell your children no. If you are not comfortable with them going somewhere or having these freedoms, it is still your parents' right to tell children no. I think you better stay home. No, Mm -hmm. I don't think you should go spend the night over there. But really to take that with your kids and be cautious. Mm -hmm. Be cautious, Mm -hmm. but explain why. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any further things you guys want to add on the subject? (laughs) 
Well, it's just really, it's a difficult, it's difficult for all of us in the community. And sometimes you can really be strong about this. And other times it's so overwhelming because it's affecting so many of our young people just, or people across. When you really feel down, don't give up. Don't give up and try to keep that hope. I, I would say, yeah, that there is hope. I mean, there there are a lot of good efforts going on in this community, whether it's, you know, whether it's bus or, or organizations that are coming together in, in, or grassroots movements and, you know, these... Um, these sobriety coaches or, you know, what, what, what we have. And I, I think we can't lose track of the site that there are some good things that are happening. Now, it doesn't mean we can't do more, but I think we, we also have to understand that, you know, in a close-knit community that we're in, historically what has happened to us, I honestly don't believe there is a family in our community that has been affected by substance use in some shape or form. Thank you for listening to the Talk About It podcast. For more information on addiction or substance use, as well as recovery resources, please contact the Manosakia Wellness Center at 715-799-3835 the Menominee Tribal Clinic at 715-799-3361 or the Menominee County Human Services at 715-799-3861. Recovery coaches are also available 24-7 by calling 715-972-3280. The Talk About It podcast is produced by the Menominee Tribal Communications Department.